Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the first part of our full interview with Joost Kevelan from Cobase, where Hussam and I ask Joost the ins and outs of what bank connectivity is all about. Joost introduces himself and Cobase right at the beginning of the episode, much better than I would, so you will know everything about him in a few minutes. In the episode of today, expect to learn what is bank connectivity in the first place, why it is important for corporates, what are the different types and channels that enable corporates to connect to their banks, what is an electronic banking system, EBS, and how does it fit into this whole bank connectivity scheme, and much more. As always, we like to break down the topic we want to talk about with our guest before entering into the nitty-gritty details of it and what Cobase proposes on the markets when it comes to bank connectivity and, as you will hear, other high-end surrounding services. If you like the episode, the best thing you can do to support us is to share it. This is how we will slowly but surely spread the good word of treasury. Also, if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episode in the future. And, well, if you feel like it, rate us on your favorite podcast app. It helps us a lot and makes Hussam and I very happy indeed. With all that being said, please welcome Joost Kevlan. So, hello, Just How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks. Yourself, Hussam? Very well, thank you. Gil and I are here. We're excited to dig into the topic of the day. Before we get into that, perhaps you could introduce yourself to our audience and explain to us exactly what you do. Yes, sure, sure. My pleasure, yes. My name is Joost Kevelum, and the key that I, the thing that I do at Covid is making sure that we deliver on our customer promise. Now, what the business card says is that I'm the chief commercial officer, and that means that I run everything that has to do with our corporate client franchise. So that is from marketing and business development to sales and client implementations. Okay. And you mentioned Cobase. What, what's Cobase? Who are Cobase and what do they do? And why are you on the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast? Yes, sure, sure. So Cobase is a all-in-one multi-banking as a service solution for corporate treasury teams. Um, we help these teams to navigate the very complex field of bank connectivity, cash management, and payment infrastructure. And to put it differently, typically our clients have to deal with five to 50 different bank uh, bank relationships. And without a tech, technology, technology partner, this is very complex. So we at Cobase aim to take away this complexity and make this as simple, efficient, and compliant as possible for them. Here on the podcast, really, uh, because of your invitation, which is much appreciated. I'm looking forward to share our view and my thoughts on this specific topic. Awesome. And um, maybe to begin with and uh, dig into one of the topics you mentioned, Just, um, can you start maybe by breaking down what bank connectivity is as a concept? Yeah, sure. Uh, bank connectivity is all about how a company exchanges data or information between themselves and their banks. And in its most basic form, very least that you do want to know as a corporate treasurer or as a treasury team are to know your account balances. So the account balances from accounts at all banks. Then the question is, how do you get that information? And well, if you do not do anything else, what you could do is you could log in every morning at 
nine o'clock in the morning in five for diff five different banking portals, copy paste the information into Excel, and there you have it, a overview. So they will do that to, I guess, get the information that their bank can provide them, right? So you mentioned yes. account balances. Why else would corporate needs bank connectivity and what are the type of informations that are going from there? Uh, yeah, so the, the, the balances is the, the first thing yeah? and then there's the, the manual part of it. So the bank connectivity, as we discussed it up until now, it is this manual process of logging in. And obviously, this is not the best use of one's uh, time and it's risky. Yeah? So you have different logins, different tokens. You make typos in copying the information, fat fingers. And uh, the surprising part is that still we see this happening a lot. Eh? Even at very well-known and uh, reputable companies, many of your processes are still there. Um, treasury teams know this is a messy thing. When they start Googling for solutions, then they quickly come across this thing called bank connectivity where we started off. Eh? And then Typically, step one is to get these account balances in place. But to your question, Guillaume, uh, the other bits of information that are very much needed is, for example, the transaction information. Eh? So mm -hmm. are my uh, accounts receivable? Are they being fulfilled by the, by the customers, for example? So really, why do they need to get this connectivity in place and well-organized? Well, really to get account balances and transaction statements from the banks to themselves and the other way around to send the payment files. Uh, that's the, what I don't think. That's the yet, but the other way around, of course, is to send the payment files over the same connectivity from themselves to their banks. And again, also, this is a part that you want to automate because also here, the manual processes are very much inefficient and, uh, and risky. Okay. You get your account balances, I guess, for your cash positioning, right? So it yeah. allows you to see how much money you have. Yeah. You also reconcile who paid you because you eventually want to make sure your clients pay you, right? Yeah. And the overall bank connectivity objective is to get away from manual processes, I guess, automation as well. Like as many banks you can have, the more you can automate, the better, right? If you have like, as we yeah. mentioned, 10, 50 banks, you want to automate all this and then just make data-driven decisions and less manual tasks. Super clear. Yes. Let's see. Um, why, why do banks need that information? Yes. I mean, this is called Treasury 101. I'm the guy that doesn't know anything about Treasury. Like, I, why, do, why do I even need to, why do I have multiple bank accounts and why do I need to know the balance of them daily? Ah, well, typically you have multiple banks because you are a international company and there are a few banks that have a very, very strong global cash management position, but even the largest global transaction banks still very much have their own expertise areas. So some banks... You might perceive them as a global bank, but they are still very much strong in Asia or in Europe or in the Americas. So even if you would use the, the best of breed banks, you still end up with quite a substantial banking group, really from an operational cash management uh, point of view. The other part of the equation is, of course, that also as a company, you require funding. You have lending needs, so you need to go to a bank to ask them to fund your working capital, to fund your investments and new plans. Typically, you do this at many different banks, sometimes because it is a different project requiring different bank, sometimes because a single project is so large that you need multiple banks to fund this one project. So there can be many reasons why you are working with many different banks. Why you need that information on a daily basis is, well, in an ideal world, you really want to optimize your balances 
across different banks. So you want to avoid that you are taking a loan in one location, whereas you have excess cash available in another location. You could do this to your point with some, you could do this once a week, once a month, look at this. But the more advanced the treasury teams becomes, the more you want to do this really on a daily basis. So you want to avoid lending where not needed, and you want to avoid having excess cash in places where it is not put to the best use. So you could use it for working capital purposes in a different location, or in a much simpler scenario, you simply look at what bank account gives you the highest interest rate and you want to put it there. For the last couple of years, this has not been a discussion. Eh? There was no interest uh, uh, at all, but uh, we see that changing. Uh, we see that changing in the last couple of months. So it's uh, it's mostly cost driven, right? You don't want to borrow in one location if you can lend from another because that costs money, basically. So it's it's purely cash optimization uh, strategy. Yes. You want yes. to use as much as possible the the group's funds, and then if necessary, borrow more money here and there. Yeah. Okay. Are there different types of connectivity technology? Is like in the back end of it as well? Or is yes. banks communicate with each other using certain platforms, right? We've talked about previous in the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So what you see in the interbank world is the SWIFT network. So one very small step back, if a corporate treasury team decides that they want to automatically connect their banks to their systems, to their teams, then they need to start looking, okay, what is the technology that I'm deploying? And then there are different types of technology mm -hmm. and different networks available. The most well-known one, I guess, is the, the SWIFT network, typically a interbank uh, network. It's quite expensive. Different banks deploy a different view on what the standards in the network are. So you probably have heard in your earlier uh, shows about the MT940 format. <laughs> MT940 sounds very much like a standard, but if you start receiving MT940s from different banks, then you will find out very quickly that the content of those files is very different. So that's a big a bit of a drawback for the the, the corporate use case. So, or Swift. so sorry to interrupt you here. Um, can you describe what an MT940 is exactly? What what does it mean and uh, how does it work? Yes, it's the the standard message template for sending transaction and account balance information typically end-of-day end of day information, simply by the name of it, MT940. It sounds very much like a standard, but that's a bit of a misconception because if you start to receive different MT messages from different banks, you will see that what is in the actual message and what is in the actual data fields, it differs a bit per bank. So the templates might be the same, but the way the information is structured within the file is different from banks to another. Exactly, 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 exactly. Um, the big benefit of the shift network is, is that it is a very wide network. Yeah? So there is, uh, somewhere between 13 and 15,000, uh, participants in the network. Again, typically this is a inter interbank network. So not necessarily fit for corporate use cases, unless perhaps you are really a large global institution or a global commercial party, then this could be of interest for you. Then moving on to the technology that we see um, being much more used in the corporate space, that is the traditional host-to-host -host connectivity. The big advantage here is that this type of technology is available to many bank clients. In the files that are exchanged over host-to-host, -host, you can include a lot of data, uh, rich data, so you have 
as much detail as possible over the actual transactions. And then because host-to-host technology in itself is really a old technology, everybody knows how to work with host-to-host uh, connectivity. Files are easily picked up for further usage in the in the company. So whether that is by humans or by further systems, it is very light on the on the client's inf- infrastructure. Technology is simple. So host-to-host sounds like it's a custom communication setup between two banks, but. The corporate use case between um, uh, between the corporate client and the bank, um, it is custom made, but it is very easily explained and it is very easily put uh, in a manual. So it it is not complex. And if a corporate has a IT team, the IT team will know for sure how host to host connectivity works. Why why would you choose host to host uh, compared to Swift or the other way around? What's uh, so we have the pros and of each, but yeah. Well, uh, pricing is uh, is very uh, very different. Swift is a expensive uh, oh. technology to deploy and to to maintain. Data richness typically is better on the host to host channels. Of course, it all depends a bit on the quality of the descending bank, but typically we see that uh, over host to host, you can have really rich data for your transactions. Now, why is that helpful to have rich uh, transaction data? This is helpful if you want to automate your reconciliation processes between open uh, accounts receivable and actual incoming payments. The more data about the actual payment there is, the more data you can use to compare the transaction data to the account receivable data, uh, the more information there is, the higher level of automated reconciliation you can achieve. So that's a big advantage of data data richness. Now, of course, there is a small drawback to, uh, to the host-to-host services as well. They are available to most corporate clients, but some banks decide to offer this service only to their corporate plus clients. So if you are a smaller entrepreneur, it is not always a given that you have access to this technology. How how do you do then if you're a smaller size company? You just do not connect or? Well, you can uh, do the manual downloads, for example. Okay. Oh, we that would be a that would be a solution that is deployed quite often. The underlying argumentation here is that this bank, a multi-bank complexity, mostly is relevant for the larger companies. Mm-hmm. Um, the the banks have tailored their offering to that. Makes yeah. sense. Okay, so we have Swift and host host. Well, anything else? Any other? Um... Yeah, of course. For the for the last couple of years, APIs uh, are are all the hype, and we are now getting to that point where it is slowly starting to migrate from hype to reality. Ultimately, this is still very much uh, a view on the future for corporate use cases, and the promise is that this APIs, these bank APIs, can deliver data on demand. So, for example, for account balance information, this has very serious potential, and we see. Good examples already in the market of this materializing. We are strong believers in it. Uh, also here, the technology is uh, fairly straightforward. Uh, the big drawback is that APIs today are very unique per banks. So what they typically do, they show you their door or their, their gateway where to get the data. They show you the API spec, but thereafter it's up to you. So you start receiving the data and then you need to find really a way to harmonize the incoming data feeds from the different banks API into a harmonized format that you as a corporate treasury team can use. 
either as a person or as a as a system. So this is a bit of a of a drawback here. Uh, another smaller drawback is that it is very different between banks how rich the data is as well that they are making available through the API. Again, end of day or near real time um, uh, balance information. That is what those banks can offer through their APIs. But then one level deeper, all the information about the specific transactions. And there again, you see to you start to see a huge differentiation between the quality and the richness of the data that the different banks are providing to their corporate users. Awesome. And here, uh, price-wise, where are we? Where are we located exactly? Is it more expensive than Osterhose, less than Swift's? Uh, how does it work? It depends. But depends a bit. The theory goes that it is more efficient to deploy these API connections, and therefore it could be a bit cheaper. Uh, okay. Another view why this could be a bit cheaper is because uh, API is all the hype, and bank wants to show that they are offering APIs to their clients. Another view is that the cost should be fairly comparable because from a use case perspective, getting your account balances, getting your transaction information, use case is pretty much the same. So some banks argue, I don't care really what channel you are using. The benefit for you is the same. So the price is the same. Uh, different views possible here. Makes a lot of sense. So I have the feeling that so the Swift connection will be very global. Uh, you're likely to be able to connect to a very wide range of financial institutions and banks, host to host, you have to tailor it per bank, right? You have one connection per bank. So if you're connected to five, 10 banks, you have to establish one host to host connection per bank. And it would be the same for API, basically. Yeah, correct. And then there is a small nuance there for companies like, uh, like ourselves. We operate a couple of host to host channels with the banks that we work with very often. Okay. That's a big benefit for uh, the customers, for example, that work with our company. They do not need to establish their Bank mm. to client host to host channels themselves. They can simply leverage the host to host connections that we as a company already have in place with a number of banks. That's a, a, a bit in between there. Awesome. Okay. So you act as a mini Swift network, so to say. You're already connected to the bank, so you enable the clients to be connected as well through you. Yes, exactly. Awesome. That. Yeah. Okay. So have connections per, per region of each bank. So, like, to name a few, if you have like, uh, I'm from the UK, so I know Barclays, for example. If there's Barclays UK and Barclays Europe, I don't know if they're in Europe, uh, would you have individual connections to each or do you have, is one okay for each, for all of them? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, uh, Usam. This is the ugly part of global banks. Uh, <laughs> this really depends on the banks. There are large global banks that have this very uniform backend, but there are also very large, well-known brands, but they don't have um, this single large universal backend. What we tell our customers is that they should not care about the quality of their bank. We as a firm take care of that complexity. So if you tell us you are working with Barclays, we will enable the connectivity with Barclays and whether that requires one, two or three backend connections, that's our concern. We would like to take that complexity away from our customers. And in the States, in the US, where a lot of our listeners are from, would you also have like state by state can also be different potentially as well? Could be different. Uh, maybe not necessarily for a single bank in the States, but in the States you have a huge number of smaller local banks. Yeah. And that's, uh, they all require their, uh, their different host host connections if available. Yeah. You, you mentioned for smaller companies that they may have to download directly the file and reconcile manually, right? 
This makes me think of, of something we usually refer to, which is the EBS, Electronic Banking System. Is it where those smaller companies will download their reports from or what, how do they access to those basically? Yeah, so two ways around that. One is in the, through the electronic banking system. Then when you start clicking around in the EBS system, you would typically find a section somewhere where you can export uh, reports in the desired format, ranging from CSV, PDF, possibly also to the MT940 type of, of statement. Uh, sorry, a file format. And there are also some banks that have plugins available to, for example, the smaller or local domestic pieces of accounting software. This is something that is widely available, for example, in the uh, in the Dutch market, but Dutch markets have APIs directly into the smaller accounting platforms. Mm. But this is very local and does not work for global, uh, global corporates. Is that the same thing as online banking? Yep. Yes. Where basically what it is. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But instead of having our, so in Belgium, we have ING and we just yeah. go on our app that would be at a corporate size. But indeed, even though I'm thinking if you have like hundreds of or thousands of bank accounts, it might be a bit more cumbersome to go to your different ones and, uh, and we can sell the, the right. cash positioning. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, most banks for within that banks, they have that arranged of taking care of in their, in their app, which is totally right here. I think you're talking about it reminds me of we we're doing a payment series just recently, like, and we talked a lot about Visa and MasterCard. And it was basically saying that that's basically the connectivity that me, when I have a credit card or whatever, my bank can pay to a shopping or a shop's bank through Visa. Isn't, isn't, why don't we just use Visa or MasterCard for these? Or is it the same thing? What's the difference here? Um, it's, uh, it's a different thing, but it is complementary. So in the context of Bank connectivity, where the link is here, that the link exists to the extent that you want to integrate your card transactions in your overall transaction overview, or to the extent where you want to include your um, uh, online wallet balances in your overall cash overview. So that is where the two areas touch. Uh, and this is also where we help our customers with so, for example, if you want to have to have this daily cash overview, you might have cash st uh, stored in a PayPal wallet or at Adjens. So that type of information we open up to the to the corporate customers as well. Same for uh, for card payments. If you want to have the card transaction information available within your ERP or within your financial software, that is what we uh, take care of. And you, so you connect to. To, to take some examples, the Visa MasterCard as mm. well. So on top of connecting to some banks via host-to-host -host, uh, or whatever way API, you do this also for the card payment networks, right? Which is a bit of a different thing. But yeah, you do this as well. Okay. Okay. So maybe going back to the, um, the bank connectivity topics, what type of information are exchanged here? So we talked about what goes from the bank towards the corporates, but yeah. uh, what about the other way around? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a great uh, great question, and perhaps uh, for corporates in practice, the more risky uh, area. So how, the other way around, and you talk about about payments, and there's uh, of course the status reports and the tracking of payments, and that is one. But the key really here is to realize that once connectivity is in place, the next challenge starts really with the payment 
formats and payment templates. And those payment formats and payment templates, they vary across banks, they vary across payment products, and they vary across countries. So how on earth are you going to get that nice single large payment batch out of your ERP or out of your accounting software to the banks, to the correct bank in the required format and for that specific payment product? For corporates themselves, this challenge is close to impossible to, uh, to fix themselves. And this is where software solution providers can add tremendous value, where in case of our platform, what we do is we would absorb this one single large batch out of the ERP, this large payment uh, batch. There might be a thousand payments in there. And then our platform spits and converts all payment information in that one large batch into the smaller batches for each banks for each bank in the specification that is needed for that bank's requirements for that specific payment product. So this is a nuance per bank, per product, per country. Uh, this is really the big part of uh, the help we provide on the payments um, on the payments area. It is impossible, close to impossible for corporates to manage this complexity themselves. The bank statement side, uh, the incoming side, it's a bit simpler and it's a bit less risky, of course, because it's really only about information and not about sending money somewhere else. So it's a bit less risky. The complexity in terms of formats is the same, the same between the two. Okay. So what you can do from a corporate standpoint is on top of receiving information from your bank, sending them information and not only information, actually information to act upon, which is... I want yeah. to make a payment to that uh, to that counterparty. Yes. Challenge you highlight here is, as a corporate, probably a multinational, I want to send multiple payments at the same time. So a batch of payments to different banks and so on. And so the bank connectivity tool allows to just receive, receive the bulk and then yeah. treat the information so all the right amount of money are sent to the right bank and the information is correctly transmitted. Yes, okay. yes. That's a very good summary, Guillaume. Thanks for that. <laughs> Pleasure.